Hey guys, it's Sammy and Robbie back again to tell you about another upcoming con. And we're super excited about this one. Mm-hmm. It's another Indiana one. This one is Pop Con, Indie Pop Con to be exact. And it's going to be in Indianapolis, again at the Convention Center. Indiana Convention Center. Right in downtown Indianapolis. And Robbie will be there April 26th through the 28th. Yes. We were just at the Indiana Comic-Con, so if you missed us, Mm -hmm. you get a chance to meet us again Mm -hmm. at PopCon. Yes. Well, at least Robbie. At least me. Ashley will be there. Oh, yeah. Ashley will be there. That's an exciting thing. Ashley will be there, so you get to meet a lot of us on the network. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two-thirds. Two-thirds of it, yes. Mm -hmm. So, if you're coming to the show, please stop by the Limitless Broadcasting booth. Mm -hmm. We're always excited to see you. All right. Oh, my God. Well, I guess we'll see you guys at the show. Bye. Bye. You're listening to the Limitless Broadcasting Network. Your whole life can change in an instant. About 50 million adults in the United States have chronic pain. And because of a car accident, Robbie is one of them. In their marriage vows, Robbie and Sammy promise to stand by one another and provide strength when needed. And lately, they've been facing some of their biggest challenges. Join them as they share the ups and downs of living with chronic pain. Hello, guys. Welcome back to The Painful Truth of Living with Chronic Pain. We are your hosts. I'm Robbie. And I'm Sammy. And today, we have a special guest with us. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Jessica Zinkowski, and I have lived with chronic pain for a long time, so I'm super excited to share my story with you all. Great, great. Yeah. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. Mm-hmm. Tell us about yourself. Well, first, um, we should back up for a second. We met each other at, we met right. her at Spooky Empire. She came by the booth. Mm-hmm. We actually have some video that we're going to be dropping soon of her when we interviewed her the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how we got familiar with you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. And thank goodness for Spooky Empire with all of the networking opportunities. So oh, yeah. we're glad Absolutely. that we cross paths with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now you can tell us about yourself. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, I have lived with chronic pain and chronic illnesses since I was eight years old. I am going to be turning 20 in April. So. More of my life has been spent with pain and illnesses than it ever was without. Mm-hmm. And I know that that can be really challenging for people and including me, like I have bad days, but um, you have to remember that with pain also comes like you have to adapt to it. It takes mm-hmm. time. But over the years, I've definitely figured out ways to do that for myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, I agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. So back up. Tell me about your story. Like, why are you dealing with chronic pain? So when I was eight, I got a virus that we still have no idea what it actually was or like how I got it or anything. And it threw me straight into gastroparesis, which means my stomach is entirely paralyzed. It doesn't work. There's different levels of gastroparesis where some people it works, but it's just a lot slower than normal, but they can Mm -hmm. still eat. They just have to separate their meals farther apart. Then there's others that are on NG tubes or GJ tubes, which is either the through the nose tube or the stomach tube. And I've had both of those at one point, actually. Um, but now I'm on something called TPN. So my entire digestive system like does not work anymore. So that causes a lot of pain in and of itself. Yeah. With a lot of breathing and nausea and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, with that, the real big thing that helped me when I was younger with that was gymnastics because mm-hmm. I was in pain, but it kind of gave me like an escape from the pain. Okay. So I could have my mind on something else. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So and, keep going. Oh, I was, um, I did have a device that ran my stomach at one point when I was younger. Um, I had it from 10 to 16 and that helped me be able to like eat some more and start gaining weight finally. And it helped a lot with the pain too. 
Okay. But it stopped working for me at 16. Okay. Wow. That's terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you haven't been able to eat. Well, I'm going to ask questions that the average viewer is going to ask. Mm -hmm. So you haven't been able to eat like solid foods. No, not since I was 16. I couldn't eat from 8 to 10. And then from 10 to 16, it was like, it was on a good trek, but then my, my body rejected the device. So I haven't eaten actually anything since I was 16. Wow. wow. What, uh, what doctors would you go see? Um, I know a gastrointestinal mm -hmm. doctor, but. Um, yes, definitely. They're one of the ones that I'm at the most is my GI doctor. Yeah. Um, I see a nutritionist to keep the um, TPN and all my blood work and everything good for my body um, because my nutritionist makes the TPN based off my blood work from the week before. Okay. So that okay. we can keep my body as regular as possible. Oh, wow. Um, so you get blood work every week then? I do. Sometimes it gets pushed out to every other depending on how stable I've been. But if there's like a, a number that's flagged or something, um, I get blood work done every week. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm. You must hate needles. Thankfully, the needles are less now because I have a permanent central line in my chest. So okay. they can just draw the blood out of that. Thankfully, like if I go to the ER, I need to be poked because they don't have the authority basically to work with the line because of the infection risk. So I get poked a lot at the hospital. But other than that, it's pretty neutral with the needles. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So let's back up for a second. So before you got diagnosed and everything, what what were your parents? How did they help you out? Like, were they just, how did they figure out what to do? Um, I was like, I was eight. I was severely like malnourished because I couldn't eat. So my parents were like, there's something wrong. This isn't just like one of those 24, 48 hour viruses. Yeah. So we ended up taking me to the emergency room and the emergency room looked at me and was like, oh, well, you don't look good and you can't keep anything down. So I was admitted straight from that first day um, that they noticed that something was entirely wrong because I was mm -hmm. just not eating. I had no color. So from then on, my parents, they, they really helped me because I was so young, um, learn how to cope with it and like adapt to it. Like it took a while for all of us, but they, they basically said you can either let it control you or you can like do your best to not let it and you can just go live your life and do the best that you can. Okay. So they really helped me with a, from like a mindset perspective while all the other doctors were like, oh, um, no, you're not going to be able to, to do much. Okay. My parents were like watch her basically. So they really helped me out a lot with my mindset about so what what kind of tests did they run? I know you were young, but mm -hmm. initially, what kind of tests would they run to figure out, weed out what, like what happened? Yeah, right? what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot of the tests, actually, that I was had when I was little, when I was older, too. So I remember like a lot of what they did. OK, um, they ran a stomach emptying scan where I had to eat. When I was younger, it was a plate full of radioactive scrambled eggs. Radioactive. So could you taste so, it? They tasted, they tasted pretty nasty. Like they had like a kind of a metal taste to them. I'm sure. But yeah. I had to eat those um, and then lay in a machine while they just, they watched as the, because a normal body, like the stomach would start contracting, the eggs would move, they'd be able to see it go through. Uh-huh. My stomach, I was in the machine for four hours and tech was in the room at least for like an hour out of the time because they thought the machine was broken. Wow. But it was just because my stomach works at like zero, like there's there's nothing, there's nothing working in there. Okay. So they figured that out and I got really sick actually like three and a half hours into the test because I just couldn't hold them down anymore. Yeah. So they ran that one and that's the one that they figured out I had gastroparesis. Okay. Was the stomach paralysis. But I also had a lot of like CAT scans, um, MRIs. Uh, HIDA scans, which was for like the gallbladder to make sure there was no gallstones and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and lots and lots of blood work. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. So you're at the emergency room, you're getting all these tests done, and then they come back and say, you have this. What, at this time, what are your parents thinking? Like, right, what do we do now? Or do they have options? 
Yeah, it actually took a year to get diagnosed. Okay. Because throughout all the time, because they had to, you know, run all of the blood work tests, all the other testing that they were thinking like prior, which was just a lot of like scans and gallbladder and everything else. They did a lot of endoscopies. Okay. Mm-hmm. And explain that for the view- listeners. I don't know what that is. Um, an endoscopy is a procedure done under general anesthesia by either a surgeon or a gastroenterologist. And it's a thin like tube with a camera on the end of it that they it goes down your throat and it can go into your stomach. Um, and it they can look for like ulcers or inflammation and malformations and stuff like that mm-hmm. to see like if that might be a cause if you're just inflamed and you have like an allergy to food or something. Um, but I never really brought too much back except I had so much inflammation. Okay. My stomach has been inflamed actually since I was eight because of like all of the problems that I have. Mm -hmm. So it always comes back looking like that. So they thought for a while it was just that. So they just um, threw an NG tube in my nose, which it went through my nose and into my stomach. And it was, it was a feeding tube. So it was formula. I was, I got to ask, did that hurt when they put it in? It didn't hurt as much like, as it was just more uncomfortable because yeah. as it's, they like make sure that it's lubed up so it doesn't like get stuck or something. Yeah. With how- it's like a catheter, but through your nose. Yes. Okay. And it goes um, through my sinuses and it yeah. went down my throat and landed in my stomach. And my dad actually had to figure out how to place those. So I didn't have to go to the hospital once a week to have them changed. Oh, I was one of the lucky ones that's allergic to the tubing. So I had to have it changed every week. Whereas I had like hospital friends that had it changed like once every six months. Right. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so okay. when you're getting fed through it, can you feel it? Like, obviously you can feel it, but what does it feel like? Sometimes it depends on like if the formula was at room temperature or if it was one of the ones from the fridge. Okay. Sometimes if it was the one from the fridge, it was like, it felt cold on my face. Oh, I'm sure. It was taped here. And then I could taste it a little bit, but that was only because my stomach didn't really work. So it just built up. So I could still taste it kind of. So me and vanilla, like protein shakes and stuff, we have a a bad relationship. I can imagine at this point. Yeah. So it's kind of like they're insure. Basically, you're an instant yes, breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Insure was exactly what I was on um, from 8 to 10. That's what, they, then... that's what Kanye fed, got. You know, that's what he drank when he had his mouth when surgery. His, yeah, when he could yeah. I just sipped yeah. the scissor, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you and Kanye have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Protein shake. There you yes. go. Uh, yes, Insure protein shakes. Yep. Anyway, keep going. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, but yeah, it can feel like cold. And then it, um, if it's room temperature, you really can't feel it like the temperature wise on your face or anything. It's just kind of, you know, what's happening, but you can't really feel it. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask an awkward or a question that I should know the answer, but you just wear this thing all the time. Yes. When I was younger, I, it was, it used to be in, unless I was at um, a gymnastics competition. because. Okay. Nowadays in gymnastics, kids with medical devices, it's fine. It's not like a, a deduction from your score for mm-hmm. having an ex- an accessory, I guess you could call it. But when I was younger, we used to have to take the tube out because it was it was easy to like put in and out because my dad knew how to do it. So I would go to gymnastics practice with a tube in my nose and I just lived day to day life with it. But when it came to gymnastics competitions, I showed up to the competition with a tube in my nose before I competed. My dad took me to um, a, a corner, like the bathroom or something, and pulled the tube out, threw it away. I went out and competed. As soon as I was done, I had to go back to him to have it for, like put back in, and I went to awards with it in. So it like confused a lot of people, but I wasn't allowed to have it in at competitions because it was actually a deduction from my score back then. Okay, that brings up several, several questions for me. Number one, how did he put it in you? Like, I know it has to go through your nose, but... How did he do it? It it took a lot of um, patience on his end because he was like nervous about it because there's there's like a possibility, which it only happened a couple times, but it also happened to me in the hospital. So it wasn't just because it was an at home thing. 
where it can go down the wrong tube and it can right. end up in your in your lungs. Mm-hmm. So he was like worried about that, but it only happened with us once, and it happened twice, I think, in hospital. Okay, because it's such a finicky thing. Mm-hmm. So um, you to try to do. So you basically lube it up and you just. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's it's basically- kind of like like nasal spray almost when you like put it up and you just like feel it kind of going through your sinuses right. until it hits your throat. That okay. was basically the the tube, but it was just this tiny silicone. It wasn't silicone, but this like tubing thing that just a catheter for your face, basically. Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. How long could you have it out for? Um, it depended on because sometimes I was like better without it than I was with it, and okay. I could, like stand to have more feeds at night so I could have it out during the day if I truly wanted to have it put in in and out all the time. So it depended basically on how I was feeling um, as to whether I could have it out for a longer period of time or just leave it in. But I mostly ended up just leaving it in unless I was competing. Do you do you feel hungry? No. No. I haven't no. felt hungry since I was 16. So you don't feel like, oh, I need to eat. Mm-mm. Okay. That's great. Well, I'm not... <laughs> You don't have that hunger. I guess urge. that would make it way yeah. worse is what you're trying That's to say. That's what I'm right? saying. Yeah. Like, if I was hungry and I knew I couldn't eat, that would be like way worse. my body torturing me. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I do but, feel kind of lucky with that one because I have friends that have gastroparesis and it's not like to the extent as mine because they're thankfully, thankfully, they're allowed, they can eat some, but sometimes it's like they're hungry, but they know what the food would would do to them if they were to eat it so it's kind of like a more mental thing for them too i i feel like where i'm just like i'm not hungry but i would i love food but i'm just Mm -hmm. thankfully i don't have that other burden on top of everything else yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so you have a tube in when you're young Mm -hmm. your body starts rejecting it correct and Um, and that was the the other device device. so how how did that happen so you're you you Follow this device for how how long did you actually have it in for? Um, I had it the first one because it was the first generation. I had it from ten to twelve. Okay. And then the batteries died because it's just it's a giant battery pack basically inside of the device. Okay. Um. So the surgeon that placed it had the other half, so he could tell um when the battery was getting low. Okay. And when the first one died, I was actually in California. Okay. So that was a fun trip. Two weeks in California not knowing what was going on yeah and we kind of had like a suspicion as to that's what was happening because it had been two years and that was the life shelf of that one basically so when they replaced the first one back up for a second you're in california and the batteries die what do you do um thankfully back then we traveled everywhere with a tube and a pump and everything so just in case anything was to arise mm-hmm. then we had it on hand but we only we were there for two weeks and we only had one thing so i was trying to eat as much as i could stand but it what well, it didn't really go so well i was really mm-hmm. sick by the time we got back mm. what does it feel like when you actually try to eat um it's like instant nausea i'm lucky if it's not just instant like it hits my stomach and my stomach's like no and i throw up but another thing about me is a lot of the time like my i can't throw up because my stomach doesn't work either way right. so it's just yeah. like pure agony of like it, it doesn't want to move so it just sits there but mm-hmm. so how do you if it just sits there how does it pass through your body like how does that happen um, it takes like a long, long time to go anywhere. And usually it just seems like that from testing that I've had that the acid just at some point, like just is what helps it okay. go somewhere because it doesn't really go up or down. It's just, I have so much extra acid in my stomach from having it not be able to go up or down. that it just like kind of eats it, I guess. Yeah. How you could yeah. Say it. But I haven't had anything in my stomach in a long time. Okay. I can't even take my pill form medications anymore because of absorption issues. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Luckily, I just don't really deal with that. So when when you go out with friends and they're like, oh, let's go get something to eat, do you just kind of sit there and watch them eat? Yeah. I yeah. like 
Um, I, I just go for the socialization at that point. A lot of the times they're like, well, what should I get? So I look at the menu and I tell them what they should get oh, and yeah. I ask them how it is. But me and food have a very odd, like it's not an odd relationship, but for somebody that's like would think of being in my position, it's kind of an odd relationship because I actually always liked to cook. Like I always helped my parents cook okay. um, when I was younger, but okay. I never, I never really was into like baking and stuff. Mm-hmm. until i was 16 and couldn't eat so i'm like my relationship with food is baking and then feeding other people like, okay. i've never tasted a single thing that i bake but everybody else says it's good so well, well that's, that's good, good. yeah <laughs> at least you get positive feedback yeah yeah so let's keep going on the story so well first of all can you tell us a little bit about what the device does for you or did yes. for you i guess yeah yes so it's um called an entera simulator it's by Medtronic and it's actually not FDA approved for okay. anybody under 18. So it was kind of like there's me and a couple other kids that had it back then. And we were basically like a thing for like guinea pigs, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Yeah. But it it has different settings for different levels of like gastroparesis. And the lowest setting it just kind of like helps it along a little bit. It just dolts every once in a while because your stomach can still do some of it. So it just kind of helps it helps it out a little bit piggybacks off it and then but for my setting it was on some of the highest ones because it can help control pain nausea bloating and then it can it basically mimics digestion okay Um, so it kind of just forces your stomach to contract because it's an electrical current that goes through i actually still have the wires in my stomach because they're like they can't get them out um because of where they are and where the device sits because they have to put it in like a pocket um in your left abdomen usually you can um when it's there because i still have the scar and stuff but you can i was always so thin too from malnutrition that you could actually see the device like stick out of me kind of like it was completely inside but i was like flat and there was this like dome thing Uh and it was the device all my friends thought it was cool they always wanted to like feel it (laughs) did it hurt when they felt it it did sometimes, but only if somebody like pushed on it. Okay. Um. So it really is a device. It has helped a lot of people, and it helped me for years. So I'm thankful for that. So if you have gastroparesis and you're listening to this, make sure you like do your research into that because if you haven't had that yet, even mentioned, I would definitely recommend bringing it up because it has helped a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So that was going to be my next question. How did that conversation start? Like. How did the doctor say you should have this device? Um, I was about nine and a half when the conversation started, if I remember correctly. And there is medications for gastroparesis patients that um, are supposed to help mimic digestion and like help your body remember what to do um, with just the medication. Okay. And I was one of the one of the lucky ones. Um, if you can sense the sarcasm yeah, that um, was allergic to every single medication that they tried to give me. That's great. Like, so all of the medications that were supposed to help me, I was, I was allergic to in like really bad ways. Like one of them was anaphylactic. One of them, like and then a bunch of them was like giant hives and rashes oh all gosh. over my body. So they were like, yeah, you, you don't, qualify for any of those any of those <laughs> yeah they'd try one and then i'd be allergic and they so they'd be like well maybe this will be the one and it was never actually the one so my gi doctor came in after the last one was finally tried and she was like i have a last ditch effort to try to help you she goes i don't know if the hospital is going to take you i'm not sure she goes because technically especially in kids your age nobody really is interested in putting them in because it was there was honestly no good reason for it. It's just the FDA wouldn't approve it for children. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the device itself. But thankfully, the doctor was like, well, this this little girl definitely needs some sort of help. So I saw the GI doctor at UF Health Shands, who's actually no longer there anymore. Um, and he put, he placed a temporary one that was like, through the nose, it was a blue wire through my nose and into my stomach, basically just like the tube. So I, I was used to it, but um, it was run by a battery pack just on the outside of me. Mm-hmm. So it like did the same thing as the internal device would, and it actually worked. Like I woke up from the surgery and they had it on and running, and by the next day I was like 
oh my god, I want food. Like I don't feel sick. So that worked. So they put in the permanent one, and we actually we actually had to call Congress. Like my dad was on the phone with like actual Congress while I was being wheeled back to the OR because it was so like not approved in children, and he had to get it so that insurance be like. We, we're not gonna we're not gonna cover this like she doesn't it's not something that needs to be placed and so congress is on the phone and as we go when you say congress you mean like your congressmen yes i mean like like congress congress like yeah you're it's crazy your representative and you're saying yes. hey mm-hmm. this is what we need and this is why we need it mm-hmm. and i'm sure you had medical documentation to be like oh i'm sure this yeah. is why exactly that's why um the Congress people actually like looked at my file themselves, like the top, the top dog in 2014 looked and was like, yeah, you're going to push this through and you're going to push this through now because as we're speaking, she's in surgery. So wow. it was basically as we were going back to surgery, I had the surgeon walking me there um, on the bed and he was talking to me. He goes, and he looks at my parents, he goes, well, I know you're on the phone. He goes, but I'm doing this surgery and if they won't cover it, he goes, I'll, I'll cover it. So the surgeon was going to, because he needed documentation like of kids having this device mm-hmm. Me and him actually worked together to rewrite the book that came with the device. That's great. Because with that device, it was told a lot of the time back then you can't run, you can't jump, you can't twist, you can't like walk too fast. You have to sit. Basically they wanted us to be couch potatoes because right. it was deemed safer. Mm-hmm. But he handed me that book, and I like broke down because I was a competitive gymnast my whole life. Right. And um, he was like, "Ignore that, completely ignore that." And he ripped it and he threw it in the trash. He was like, "Cause we're gonna write a new one." Mm-hmm. And so he took videos of me doing gymnastics, um, and sent them and took them to his board meetings and stuff. And it re it reworked the rules for the book. Wow, that's so, really cool. That's amazing, yeah. You need doctors like that. To push mm-hmm. the yeah. boundaries. Mm-hmm. Definitely, because every single doctor looked at me and said, well, you're never going to be doing gymnastics again now that you have that. And I was like, what? Thanks for the mm-hmm. uplifting like, message. That's like, terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm 10. What are you, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, awful. Oh, my gosh. Before all this happened, did you guys ever have any trouble with school? Like, did you ever go to school and like the teacher be like, oh, they're abusing this girl. She's malnourished. They're not oh, feeding her. You're so skinny. Yeah, yeah, you're so skinny. Yeah, they did at one point. I was good from kindergarten till about third grade because third grade is about where I started getting sick. So I missed a lot of school. And when I would when I would go, um, the teacher would be like, is something Are you wrong? Okay? I was like, yeah, I'm good because I was always very pale, but I'm, I'm pale skinned anyways. So mm-hmm. it just kind of added to the effect, I guess. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. So we had medical documents from like, she was at the doctor's, she was admitted. And the, I just ended up being pulled out of school and just being homeschooled because it was a lot easier on me yeah. both mentally and physically than trying to get up to go to school every day. Right. So thankfully my parents just worked with me through homeschooling and I did go back in fifth grade because I was like, well, maybe I want to be around kids. I did not want to be around kids. No, no. Because, <laughs> but the, I was still had the tube sometimes in fifth grade so they were kids were like, yeah are you okay i was like yeah i'm fine because i'm good when people ask me questions it's just you know kids in a school setting yeah very yeah. judgmental and rude sometimes so very much so it was a it was a better thing for me to just be homeschooled and i actually finished school early so that was going to be my next question are you still homeschooled i graduated at 16 wow um, i'm currently taking online courses through nyu Wow. That's cool. Wow. Thank you. That's great. For what? Thank you. Um, performing arts. Okay. I want to learn more about the industry that I'm going higher into hopefully this year. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I know what goes on in front of the yeah. camera and behind the camera or just Excellent. behind anything really. Are you, we're really jumping ahead here, but are you thinking about going to actual NYC and being on campus? Um, I'm not entirely sure because I'm so like based here with a lot of stuff that right. online would probably just be easier to, especially since I don't have like an immune system. Cause I have more problems than just the GI stuff. Okay. And the newest thing we found is I don't have an immune system. Like I have no antibodies to anything. 
even the vaccinations that I had when I was a kid, like just my body erased them for some reason. It's gone. Oh, so wow. let's pause there for a second. So when COVID happened, did they like put you in a bubble? Um, we actually didn't know back then because I was like that was at the beginning of when I was starting to get sick again. Okay. COVID. So we actually just found that out about a month ago because I had a lot of testing done and it showed that I like had none of my vaccines. I had no antibodies. And with being as sick as I was, I had every vaccine no demand so that I didn't For sure. get sicker. And my body just was like, no, you didn't have those. Wow. wow. Oh my so God. So me being not in like a college setting, I think is best because oh. I don't like catch something. Yeah. So I do a lot oh, of stuff sure. online. Yeah, yeah, much safer. Yeah. That may, <laughs> makes sense. Mm-hmm. How, how is it? going to like shows like cons and how, how do you do that for, with germs or even and, the fashion shows or fashion shows yeah um thankfully for the fashion shows um it's a very segregated group of us normally for the ones i go to so i'm around them a lot okay um, a lot of the women that i'm around there and like teenage girls that are there i'm friends with outside of just the fashion world so a lot of the times it's just hand sanitizer, make sure that everything's clean. I have a mask if needed, and I just try to stay away from like the giant groups of people right. as much as possible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, wow, you got, a, you got a lot going on. So yeah. you have no immune system and your stomach doesn't work. Yes. That's okay. That's the only two of the things. What else do you have? Yeah. Um, I have... POTS, which is postural orthostatic hypotension syndrome. And I have, what is um, that? It's a a blood pressure thing. So when I like sit too long or stand too long, I have the ability to just full on pass out. And so that's why I'm like really fidgety. So sometimes, so if you make sure I'm like fidgeting, that's Mm -hmm. because I want to make sure that I'm still moving some part of me. That you don't Um, pass out. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that blood pressure going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I stand up too quickly, I get dizzy and sometimes I could just like faint. Pass out. But because my blood pressure, I have the bradycardia version and the tachycardia version. So bradycardia is when your heart rate goes super low. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, your blood pressure can go super low. So if I'm sitting for too long, typically that's what happens. And if I stand up too fast, I also have tachycardia. So it like jolts super high, my blood pressure spike. But either way you look at it, whether it's the high one or the low one, it can make you pass out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I have that problem and I can't take any medication for it right now because of my stomach stuff. So mm-hmm. a lot of the other things that I have wrong, I can't really deal with with medication because I can't take it mm-hmm. okay right so they don't make it like intravenously that i can take through the line mm-hmm. so how does your parents help you out with all this um it's definitely been a group effort on learning how to cope with it and deal with it because i also i'm not allowed to drive legally because of that okay. problem because if i was to pass out it's like I'm yeah. right so, yeah the DMV has made it so that I can't drive because of their rules and they took away my permit. So it's definitely been a lot of sacrifices because my dad has to work and then my mom also has other stuff to do, but they um, both come together and when I need it, they can, one of them at least gets me to where I need to be. Okay. They know that it's not my fault and I'm fully capable of it, just I'm not legally. Right. And I make sure that like with my modeling stuff and the money that I do get, I do give some back to them because of all of the sacrifices that they have to make for me. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely been a group, a, a group effort. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll definitely get into your mo- modeling. <laughs> um, I want to go back a little bit because I'm, I'm trying to digest everything that you said. Do you have any questions? Well, I was just going to ask her what else is wrong. <laughs> Cause I'm sure there's something else we haven't talked about yet. Yes. Yeah, there's, I have I have quite a bit, unfortunately, but I have um, something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It's a connective tissue disorder mm-hmm. where my connective tissue is very weak and I suffer from a lot of dislocations, subluxations, which subluxations is when it's like your tissue and it's not like your full bone that's out, but it's like your tissue, your cartilage mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, I'm hyperflexible, so my body doesn't really know when to stop itself from getting hurt so if i'm doing something my body will just like 
push past the limit of what somebody else's should do. Yeah. And it can tear like ligaments and mm-hmm. tendons and stuff like that. Um, and it can cause a few other things, but I'm in the works of testing for that and going to a clinic to help me out with that. So to stay strong, I just am in physical therapy a lot. Like I've been in physical therapy the last three years. Mm-hmm. How often do you go? I go two to three times a week because we do very intense workouts, basically. Like, it's kind of like a boot camp slash CrossFit class for me because I am strong. I just need it so that the TPN, which is the nutrition I'm on, it eats away at muscle mass. So I need it to stay, like, good for the blood pressure problems so my body can, like, try to pump it faster. Um, The connective tissue disorder so I don't suffer, hopefully, from too many dislocations, which I have in the past. And then for the TPN so that my body can like eat at the muscle instead of anything else. So what is a bad pain day like for you? Um, a bad pain day, I definitely try not to let myself sit in them. But sometimes there's days I just I don't get out of bed. Like I'm curled up in a ball. I have a heating pad. I have yeah. um, music, music helps me a lot. Um, and just doing what I can to try to keep my mind off it, even if I'm not getting up out of bed mm-hmm. because okay. some days it's just you can't move yeah mm-hmm. yeah do you take any medications through your device i do through the um central line it's also like called a probiac we're, we're gonna get into but, this one we're, we're jumping but, around in this episode mm-hmm. so um, bear with if, me yeah i can um Ex- finish okay. one story if you want and I, then i guess we should go thing. back and explain that first for listeners the central line what a central line is okay so the central line there is a couple different versions of a line like mine there's a pick line that goes through your arm Mm -hmm. there's a port that like a lot of the chemotherapy patients will have um for their medications and stuff and then this one is called a broviac you can't see it but it's like a tunneled line i can take the like bottom of it out because it's like comes out of my shirt but okay. it's like that, and it goes through my chest right here. Okay. And I get hooked up to it, to like a backpack, kind of like a feeding tube, but it's like an IV form, so it has IV tubing and everything else. And this goes in through that spot in my chest, and it goes, and it's tunneled underneath, and it sits in the vein next to my heart. Uh-huh. So all of it goes to there, and then the the heart like pumps it out to my body, like the nutrition or the medication and stuff. So that's so how, that's that how they feed you too. Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm following you. Mm-hmm. So you get fed through there, and you take medications through there. Yes, my TPN goes through here. It's run for fifteen and a half hours a day. I do most of it overnight so that I'm not hooked up during the day. Right. Okay. But that's where all of that goes through. How do you sleep with that on? Um, it's a wire. It goes under my like shirt, kind of like what I just showed you. The tube just goes underneath the shirt, and then the wire hooks up to it. And we have a special made backpack that holds the bag of TPN, and the wire just comes out of there. The pump sits in the bag with the TPN. So you and, basically wear a book bag to sleep at night. Well, it sits actually next to me on the on my bed because okay. it has like a wire, so I have a little playroom to lay down and stuff so, so it just kind of chills with me on my bed i'm assuming you sleep on your back i can i kind of sleep all over the place okay, okay. The time, but if i sit on the wire or something at night the machine will just start beeping and i'll know to move uh, okay. and wake up and yeah <laughs> that that was going to be one of my questions if you lay on the wire or something like that does that wake what you happens? up yeah. and so yeah all right continue i'm sorry i'm jumping mm-hmm. around no no you're good um what part were you on? Um, so the central line, so you're kind of explaining okay. what that was and everything. Okay, so there's, um, it goes in and like I said, it sits next to my heart. But the reason it doesn't like just fall out of my body is there's a disc inside that um, is like an anchor almost. So there's kind of like weighted inside my body, but it doesn't weigh anything. That's the best mm-hmm. thing I have like to say it. Um, but my connective tissue grows around it. Mm-hmm. and it makes sure that it's secure and in place but mine has to be checked a little more often like through x-rays to make sure it's good because of the other connective tissue problem right. yeah so it's just kind of like anchored in to my chest mm-hmm. so it doesn't count do you know a lot of doctors <laughs> first names are you on a lot of first name basis with doctors 
A lot of them. Like my nutritionist, um, his name is Dan. So he's just, every time he walks in, I'm like, hey, Dan. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't call me by my full name either. It's most of the time it's Jess because they've known me since I was eight. So. Yeah, right. I have a lot of my doctors on speed dial. Like they give me their numbers mm-hmm. and I'm just yeah. like, I'll like one of my favorite doctors is Jewish and I'll text him happy Hanukkah and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I on first- the doctors. Yeah, I'm on a lot of first name basis with doctors. Mm-hmm. How many? What's the most amount of doctors you've seen in a year? Um, normally in a year, I go multiple times to my like my GI doctor. I go to with my nutritionist in the room. It's the same appointment every two months. Okay. Um, I've seen rheumatology, um, orthopedics, physical therapy. Um, Say neurology, cardiology, yeah. uh, genetic. Yeah. My hematologist for my blood counts and my, because I need iron infusions a lot. Right. And I've seen surgeons. I normally yeah. see at least one surgeon a year, yeah. honestly, for something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the ones that are in the hospital that I like the residents and stuff from all those different subspecialties. Mm-hmm. What is it like? when you're admitted into the hospital? Like when you have to go, do they have spe- special procedures they have to do with you or? Um, they do now that the immune system thing is actually like charted and figured out because we always had a suspicion, but we never actually had any testing to prove it. So normally okay. when I was used to go to a hospital, it was shared rooms. Like you had to share a room with a roommate. The roommate mm-hmm. was just as sick or sicker than you, not right. room, like just, had something highly contagious that's happened a lot to me in the past actually so i get i ended up getting like sicker Sicker. while i was there until the roommate left and then they gave me you know medication we don't know why she's sick but yeah so once the roommate would leave and i would have like more medication so it would up my stay by like a couple weeks sometimes because i was just repeatedly sick as the people Mm -hmm. were being transferred into my room yeah, in and we out. figured out that um, the immune thing. So now, when I show up at the ER and stuff, um, which thankfully has not been as much, it yeah. happened once this year already. But hopefully, hopefully it's okay now. Yeah, um, they know that I'm immunocompromised because my doctor has to call ahead and say she can't sit in the lobby. Give her an N95 mask, get her back there, and then segregate her from people. Wow. So now okay. it's a much different like thing going on now. Right. Yeah. Wow. How many? And I'm no longer allowed to share a room because of the amino problem. Oh, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many surgeries have you had? Um, that's that's a good question. I've had a lot of like, if you don't count like the scopes and stuff that I've had a ton of like the endoscopies and stuff. I've had uh, two major rib surgeries. I've had my gallbladder taken out because I had several gallstones that were causing multiple multiple problems. Um, I've had the abdomen surgery for my device one, two, twice, and then the remove the permanent removal was three. So that's three times basically the same surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a loop recorder placed, which was for my heart, and then had it taken out because it didn't do anything. Um, and I've just had a lot of like smaller ones where it's um, just like the scopes or they had to do biopsies like bone marrow biopsies and stuff like that so it was really major ones i've had probably 10 and then smaller ones i've had more than i can like count right yeah 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 wow do you have a lot of pain like walking around in everyday life i do because of the nerve pain problems that i also have that i can't take any medication for so that just adds to the pain but my stomach hurts every day like every hour of the day um my legs hurt sometimes my ribs will hurt because i have inflammation in my rib cage a lot of the time they can't do anything about that i'm allergic to um NSAIDs so like Mm -hmm. the inflammatory medication that they could give me through the line like Toradol and stuff i'm allergic to unfortunately Mm -hmm. yeah so they just kind of do you take any like narcotics or anything for pain or anything like that or they don't prescribe those to me because um 
I think it's just the motility problem is yes. already so bad that they don't yeah, want to get it way down worse. More. Yeah. Because I was when I had the gallbladder problem on pill version. This is how we figured out the absorption issue was worse than it ever was before. Because I was on the pill version of oxycodone. Okay. And the hospital had a regimen of every six hours they gave me a pill because I was in like severe, severe pain. Right. And they gave me one pill six hours later, they gave me another. And then three days of that went on. And then I went into respiratory depression and almost like I had to be Narcan. So yeah. that's how we figured out the in the absorption issue. So I feel I like we're just glossing over the surface with no, you. Right? Like, There's just so I feel much. like we could by be digesting this a whole lot more. Mm. That's why I'm trying to make a congruent story in my head. So people when the people listen to this, yeah. they're like, okay, mm-hmm. point A, point B, point C. Mm-hmm. So point A would be the gastroparesis when I was eight. And then the with that from 10 to 16, basically, like if you count the 8 to 10 being gastroparesis, 10 to 16, I was pretty, I was pretty on an uphill trend. I was gaining weight. I was doing good. And then 16 hit. And for some reason, which is still unexplained, kind of like it was when I was eight, um, my body rejected the device. I wasn't holding anything down. I couldn't eat. um, And I've just progressively gotten more and more sick, basically, since then. So Mm -hmm. that's. 16 that happened my intestines we actually found out was a big problem because those don't work now either so 16 to now has been device fail um intestinal failure being presented and then february of 2022 i was sent to the hospital in an ambulance because of the pots issue that had just shown because i had passed out my stuff was off the chart so POTS was found that um, nerve disorder was also more of a prevalent problem. And then Ehlers-Danlow, which is the connective tissue thing, was added along with some autonomic problems like other nerve problems, but mm. internal nerve problems, I guess you could say, like stomach mm. and immune system. And then 2024, like end of 2023, 2024 is when the immuno stuff was found, the immunocompromised and mm. no immune system. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming the way they found this was just trial and error. Like, yeah. oh, this isn't working. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try that. Yes, definitely that and a lot of repeated tests because yeah. they have to like make sure that it's actually that. So they do the same test just by a different person so that they see what the readings are. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the different person has to do with it, but the readings were always the same. Gotcha. That would be and, so annoying. And this is all... Related, they think back to this mystery virus thing from when you're eight. They think it's all like intertwined, maybe. They think that the virus had something to do with starting it, like triggering something, but they're not entirely sure why I have what I have because even like the genetic testing I've had has shown, well, there's something there, but we can't figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my doctors are on the same page of they think that my body just kind of morphed into its own type of autonomic nervous system problem which is what like runs all of your internal stuff Mm -hmm. so i think i just kind of formed my own disease like cause for it like it changed my dna basically i guess you could say yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so i have genetic testing waiting again now being run so they can see if now that with the advancement in genetics if they can see anything else or if it's just going to be more of the same Mm -hmm. that's terrible yeah and i thought i was bad but oh no see i don't i don't compare myself no no i because like pain is pain and like absolutely that's why we do that yeah that's true Mm -hmm. so yeah i just put i'm sure your parents have been do you have any brothers or sisters i have two full-blood siblings and two step-siblings and what do they do they help with you at all or help you out a lot or um, really, the only one I talk to, honestly, is my stepbrother, Ben, because he's like my best friend. He's like me in a different state, basically. Okay. Um, so he helps me out a lot when I'm in the hospital. He makes sure that he like jokes around with me and he video calls me and is like, yeah. why are you in pain? So yeah. he's, he really helps me out a lot with mindset, too, just like my parents did, because he can 
basically put me in a good mood, whatever. So kind of moving past the pain issues. Mm-hmm. I know you want to be in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's your game plan? How can you do that with everything you're dealing with or have to deal with? What's the plan moving forward? And I want to ask you just how you decided this was something you wanted to do as well. You know, okay. kind of jump on the bandwagon. So mm-hmm. you can ask, answer hers first. Okay. So when I was eight, it was actually always like my dream to be a model and be in the industry. But when I was eight, I was very like reserved because there was nobody that looked like me. Nobody had scars. Nobody had tubes in their nose. Nobody mm-hmm. looked like that. So as I got older, I was just like, eh, okay, I guess I'm just not going to try for that. And I'm going to try to do something else. But then at 16, I got sick again, like I had said. And I was like, you know what? Nobody looks like me because we all have the same mindset. So the scars, we, we think that nobody will want us. The medical devices mm-hmm. are seen as like ugly in a lot of society when they're really not anything to be ashamed of. They keep you right. alive. So they're not, not ugly. They just add to like, your yeah. story yeah. and you have the layers of you. Yeah. So I was like, we're going we're gonna to try this out. So I started an Instagram and I started posting just random like brands that I had at the house, like my Nike shorts and stuff like that. And with that, with the hashtags and stuff, it really brought like other brands that even the smaller ones that were like, hey, hashtags? so I used a lot of hashtags of like, um, inspiring model. Um, and like basically a lot of those like inspiring influencer, positivity, brands, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, those were like the hashtags, like brands and stuff. So okay. that I could try to get my page out there a little bit more with, I didn't really know what I was doing too much because right. right. I wasn't a social media kid. Like I didn't have social right. media until I was 16. Mm-hmm. So I was just doing my best with that. And it brought out a lot of like the smaller companies too that were like, hey, do you, we like your look. We like what you're going for. Do you want to model this product or model this, these clothes? So they'd send me the clothes for the product and I just get to like keep them. I still yeah. have a, mm-hmm. them, a lot of the clothes, but it was really just that. And then as that went on and my page was, growing which I'd never expected honestly um I got a lot of good feedback and photographers started reaching out because they wanted to shoot with me brand like I said more brands reached out and then it took the two years really to get signed because it doesn't normally happen that fast honestly for a lot of people so it was kind of a surprise for me that I got signed with two different agencies within the same month in two years who are you with I'm with, um, one is called UTG. It's Ultimate Talent Global. They're based out of Orlando, Florida. They work a lot with like the influencer part of things. They get you brand deals, music videos. They do a lot of stuff like that, which they're starting to throw out more because we just got done with one of our um, big fashion shows with them. Mm-hmm. So now that they're starting their New Year's plan, they're going to start sending out a lot more stuff. Okay. And I'm also with a company called QB Elite Model and Talent, who is also based out of Orlando, Florida, and they have um, that, and they work also, because her name is Deidre, she works for another thing that she has started, she's worked her whole life for, is she owns a film production company as well. So currently she's been bouncing back and forth between Orlando and Atlanta with, um, to deal with like some of the, her modeling stuff, and then her movie that's actually coming out. Um, on Netflix. I don't know if it's her movie, but I know her products are in the movie. So she's been there through filming for a lot of it because two of the girls that are also signed are in this Netflix movie. I don't know what it's called yet, though. Okay. Okay. I'm excited to see what's going to come of it. Very cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did she answer your question? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I just just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she did. So uh, how did you figure out, like, What's the plan moving forward to to be in the industry? Um, I'm taking the classes through NYU, like I said, so I can get the certificate and then um, know what goes on behind the stage and everything else. So that's going to help out a lot, I feel like, because I'll be able to message people and know what the director themselves are going through. And I know a lot of the people that can do that get farther because you, you're learning about something else that's not just in front of the camera. But I also... With the agents, they're really helping me. They're trying to get me in with like the bigger brands because yeah. they want like the inclusivity of me and the diversity to like mm-hmm. branch mm-hmm. out way farther. And I have a lot of runway shows this year that are the bigger ones. 
Very cool. That'll be fun. And that's just more exposure for me and what I stand for and everything else. So I really love that about runway shows is that I can change what is seen as like normal Mm -hmm. on the runway and in day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where, where do you want to end up? Like, your what's your dream job? Um, really, any company like big modeling. Like, I like um, like Pink, that store. I really like that because I like the diversity that they're going for nowadays. Is really something that hits home. Um, any like clothing company, really. Like, I'm a big Nike person. I love leggings, shorts, shoes, anything like that. But I also am hoping by the end of the year to be in film work hopefully yeah. mm-hmm. first sag after because my one agent is really like she can get in a lot with them because yeah. she's very like respected you could say in the industry so she's really trying to help me with that stuff as i'm taking like classes now the, the strike is over yes yeah. thankfully yes mm-hmm. keep going She's also wanting to get me into pageants because my uh, one agent through QB, Deidre, she is actually a former beauty. She still does beauty pageants, but she was Miss World and Miss Universe at one point. That's so she cool. really wants to get me into that too because so that the pageant world can also be more inclusive as along with all of the other areas that I want to be in. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You have a lot of aspirations. That's good. Yes, that's awesome. Yes. Thank you. So how did you figure out that you weren't going to let pain kind of control you through Um, this whole process? I was, it was actually one of the first things that my mom taught me in the hospital was you can either lay there and you can complain and you can cry your eyes out. She goes, which don't get me wrong. You can have those days. You can have those moments, but Mm -hmm. you've been sitting like this for a week. Like this was basically a conversation. Like it's been a week. I understand what you're going through. You're it's, it's tough. But you can learn from this and use it for something greater, like I know you can, mm-hmm. or you can lay in this bed and not move and just cry your eyes out and complain about life. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it was a very blunt conversation, but it was definitely one that I needed at the time, even though I was so young, yeah. because I was just like ready to throw it all away. I was yeah. like, I, don't, I, I hurt. She's yeah. like, yes, you hurt, but what if, what if the hurt doesn't go away? Like what's going to happen? So it was really a, about two days worth of trying to figure out what I wanted more, if I wanted to just lay there and give in, or if I wanted to get up and try. Right. So that was definitely an eye-opening moment for that, and I decided to get up and try. And I'm, it's hard some days, but I'm very glad that I chose that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me how things are going with Teens Want to Know. Are you still doing stuff with them? I do sometimes. It depends on what's around and like what they throw out to me. Like occasionally we can suggest a content creator event or something or like a Comic Con and stuff like that that we see on the news or whatever. And we're like, oh, well, I'd love to cover that. And sometimes they'll put us in and we don't always get in because, you know, we are known as teenagers and the people that do media under like 22 years old are definitely seen as more of like the obnoxious ones i guess you could say because i've been told that before they're when i'm interviewing they're like oh well thank you for i know you're a teenager and you're young but thank you for not being like completely rude like do you get that a lot so we actually have a fairly good reputation thankfully so Mm -hmm. we can get in more places and they're good with getting us events and stuff but i haven't done anything recently but i'm looking into other events to hopefully do I know we're kind of just scratching the surface with you. Mm -hmm. I would love to talk to your parents and how they've kind of molded you. So maybe that can be our follow up, follow up interview. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to say something to the pain community or any community, what would that be? Um, you may have chronic pain and chronic illnesses, but they don't have you. And some days it might feel that way. And, like I said, you can lay in bed and you can cry. Like definitely have those days because it's just as good for your mental health to let yourself have those days than it is mm-hmm. to like try to push through. But you are definitely 100% in control of how you choose to live your life. Whether you complain, like I said, or you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, you know what? I can do this. I'm strong. I can get mm-hmm. through this. 
And if you have good coping skills and a good support system around you, you can do a lot more than you think you can. Yeah. I think you and I have had those conversations. Like, yes, <laughs> yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was on narcotics very badly for my pain, and I just felt like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And I just quit cold turkey, and I just went through the, all the withdrawals and everything like that. And I, I much rather live with high pain and being able to do things than laying in bed being a zombie. Because mm-hmm. that's pretty much all I was doing is laying in bed. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. a lot heavier. Mm-hmm. I was probably I was over like two hundred and ten pounds. Oh wow! And I was like two eighty. Yeah, and I was just like, no, this. Yeah, I can't, it definitely can strip you of your personality. Can't do this anymore. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so, your personality, your motivations, yeah, anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't knock anybody for no no, using no. narcotics because everybody is different. But I just got to that point where I needed to make a change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I did. And so I kind of, I live with, you live with pain. I live with pain. I've had two neck surgeries and I still can't turn to the left. So yeah. always walk on my right side. <laughs> Do you yeah. have a lot of coping mechanisms that you use? Um, I don't, I try not to push, push myself too hard. Mm-hmm. Because I get so tired, like mm-hmm. I have only I have only so much energy for the day, mm-hmm. and then I gotta la- then yeah, I gotta I'm lay sure. down, and sometimes I'm just like, bro, why do I have to lay down? I'm not even doing anything. But literally, we could go to breakfast, and then I can get back and be like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I gotta lay down, mm-hmm. or or I need a break, or if we're at Dis- she's a big Disney fan. And we always take a lot of breaks. Mm-hmm. I get a wheelchair. Yes, definitely. I get that sometimes too if we're, if we're there for a long period of time. So I definitely mm-hmm. and, that uh, one. Yeah, it helps a lot. We yes. I'm on I'm on the pass where you where you can not have to wait in line. The disability pass. The disability pass. I'm sure. Yes, you clearly would qualify for that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we go do other things, but I I can't do a lot of rides. Like I can't go on roller yeah. coasters or. We went to uh, Smuggler's Run once, and I regretted doing it because yeah. the people driving it messed up my neck. And yeah. I would just, they were kids, and they That's were, bump, they they were bumping into everything. everything, and I was just like, yeah. this is certainly not great for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I try not to push myself. I, um, I go see an osteopath almost every weekend. I don't know if you've ever tried to look into one of those, but I have... Dr. Brett Thomas, he's a great osteopath in Orlando. You should uh, check into that. So I go see him every week. So he, he likes the osteopaths because they do manipulation and they do whole body. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like they don't just, they're not just like treating one area. Yeah. Like he'll look at you as a whole person and try and figure out where your pain is coming from or your discomfort and try and heal it like more naturally. So, yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Sometimes I'm just like, oh yeah, you know about all this. Everybody knows what an osteopath is, you know. But but yeah, like when we're at a con, I'm really pushing myself. Like when we get done, I'm exhausted. Like Mm -hmm. through the day of me just being being up, shaking people's hands, at the mm-hmm. end of it, I'm ready to go. Yeah, like, I definitely understand how that feels. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, a lot of different vendors were like, oh, are you going to be going to this after party or that after party? Like, and no. I'm just like, no, mm-hmm. I'm going to go home and pass out. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's me with fashion shows a lot. They're like, oh, well, there's an after party. I'm like, have fun because yeah. I've been here for 12 hours and I've already taken two naps. Like, I'm yeah. going home. No, yeah. no more. <laughs> no more. Done. So, yeah, I mean, I just. I try to push myself to a certain point and then I'm just like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I guess I would tell people to get in that habit, try to get yourself out of your comfort zone step by step mm-hmm. and do what makes you comfortable until you can't. Right. And don't let anybody try to talk you out of that. And okay. spe- especially with doctors, like if you get a creepy feeling with doctors, there is something yeah exactly mm-hmm. exactly yes i mean mm-hmm. i've i've had we've had doctor experiences where they try to talk me into surgery and it's mm-hmm. like they're selling snake oil and you're mm-hmm. like 
something isn't right about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely. We are on one of our next coming up episodes in this series. We are going to talk about Doctor Death. Have you ever seen? Do you have a a peacock? Peacock. Yeah, I do. You should check that out. Okay. It's with Joshua Jackson. He's a he used to be on Dawson's Creek and um, D two. The Mighty, Mighty Ducks. Ducks. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going way back. But no, he's a, she is a bit younger movie. than us, but yeah. I still love the Mighty Ducks. Okay, there we go. But so she's got the Mighty Ducks. He, the, uh, there's two seasons of it. I We recommend both seasons. But okay. the first one is. But the like, first one really got to me mm-hmm. because of all my neck issues and surgeon issues. And mm-hmm. we're going to go into further detail about it in the next coming up episodes but i definitely strongly suggest you check that out mm-hmm. okay and another good series to check out was dope sick on hulu okay so if you're looking for content that's pain related mm-hmm. i think you'll get a kick out of both of those mm-hmm. like you'll okay. relate to it yeah i'm not saying a kick out of it you'll just relate to it more yeah that's a better yeah. way to say it. yeah <laughs> and i remember when we were watching the show like Every time there a surgery happened, I just felt it into my bones. Yeah. So I think you would get that. Okay. I'll definitely check those out. But yeah, we would definitely love to have you back on. Hopefully you had a great time with this. Thank you. We would love to talk a little like. Oh, no, 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 no. That's it's fine. It's fine. We're. That's how my mind mind is. I jump around. So don't worry. Yes. So (laughs) we would definitely love to talk to your parents and get their uh, input Mm -hmm. on things. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to set that up. I'll talk to them about that. Where can people find you at? If they want to follow you on social media. Right. Um, I have a few different ones. Like I have my main Instagram. It's at the jazz official. So it's at like that sign. And then all lowercase T H E underscore j-a-z underscore and then official o-f-f-i-c-i-a-l that's my main instagram and then i have two different tiktoks actually i have my main one and my chronically one i recommend my chronically one to more people with a darker sense of humor right kind of type so if you get offended by that stuff i don't fully recommend that one but it's Chronically jazz, it's just all lowercase and it's just chronically the word chronically underscore and then the same thing, J A Z. Okay. For, um, because people know me as Jazz Online because it's my initials. So that's where that name comes in. And then my main TikTok is just it's dot jazz dot four. I'm glad you okay. clarified that because when I talked to you on the phone, I was like, I thought her name was Jazz, and then I'm calling you Jessica, <laughs> and I'm just like, well, maybe I got it wrong. <laughs> No, yeah, it's my initials. So that kind of became a nickname throughout gymnastics and then online. It's just what a lot of people know me as. Mm-hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Well, guys, thank you for tuning in. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being a part of the show. Absolutely. Thank we really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Please check out her story, like, subscribe, and definitely share her content. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Of course. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Painful Truth of Living with Chronic Pain with Robbie and Sammy. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to the Limitless Podcast Network's own channel, Instagram, and all things social media. And we'll see you all real soon.